So let's just start by coming to our motivation. In preparing for this uh, review, I was thinking about a time when I was really stuck in anger some years ago. And I was complaining to venerable children about this situation. You know, why did she let so and so do blah 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 and how unfair and so forth. And at some point in my ranting, I said, you know, this just makes me feel really sad. Yeah, this situation, watching how this person is behaving is making me feel so sad. And she just paused there and looked at me right there and said, that's where you need to, that's it, stop right there. You know, you need to access that sadness. That's the door to opening your heart, to stop being angry with this person and to transform it into compassion. Um, and that really surprised me. You know, I never thought of um, sadness as connected to compassion. But over time, I could see that she was right, because that's where I could start to empathize with someone else and to understand that they were not out to harm me or anyone else, but acting out of their afflictions, just as I was acting out of my afflictions. So I was thinking about this in relation to the topic that we're looking at this evening on renunciation, where we're moving into the intermediate scope teachings. And often we might resist these teachings, you know, talking about suffering or unsatisfactory conditions but really to see that they are a door for us to connect with the sadness, the suffering of all sentient beings. That they help us to sober our minds and wake up from the afflictions that overwhelm us and to turn towards compassion, seeing that all of us are in the same boat. So with this broad motivation in mind, wishing to transform our minds for the benefit of all beings. Let's uh, review this evening's teachings together and rejoice that we have the opportunity to share the Dharma. So recently, uh, Venerable Chini and I were at a local college talking to some students in a world religions class. And one of the students asked us, she said, you know, I'm Christian and I believe that murder and rape come from the devil. What do you believe as Buddhists? <laughs> and, you know, just the way she asked that question <laughs> just really made me sit up and think, right? Because all of us wonder, why do we suffer? And, you know, just listening to the way this young woman was thinking about it, it made me realize, wow, you know, the answers that we come up with in relation to this question really affect how we see the world, the choices that we make, and the goals that we have in life. Yeah, because this young woman, you know, she's putting forward the proposition, right, murder and rape come from the devil. Evil is somewhere out there, it's produced by an external being. And I thought, okay, so I guess the solution would be to help people who murder and rape to find God, because right? God can overcome the devil, right? that's the conclusion she would come to. And at the same time I was thinking, okay, if murder and rape come from the devil, then do health and wealth come from God? 
then why is it that we lose our health and wealth? Is that God punishing us or is it the work of the devil? <coughs> you know, so just to think through the logical conclusions we come to, right? Why do we suffer? And based on that, what, what we conclude. So as I was trying to wrap my head around what this young woman was saying about the world as she saw it, it just made me think how important it is for us to come back again and again to the four truths for Arya beings. Because that shapes the way we understand ourselves and the world. And too, I was thinking what's really radical <coughs> about the way the Buddha taught the four truths is that he said, you know, before we even get into this question, why do we suffer? We've got to stop and check. What is suffering? Yeah, what do we define as suffering? And from a Buddhist perspective, it's not just murder and rape, bad enough, but you know, it's a much more expansive definition of suffering. And when we really understand what the Buddha defined to be suffering, then we get really clear about what we need to do, right? how to identify its causes, find its solutions, and to put those into practice. So that's where we are in our review today. We're in the intermediate scope of the Lamrim, looking at the first truth for the Aryas, which is sometimes translated as the truth of suffering. And uh, I was reading this book, uh, Translating Buddhism from Tibetan by Joe Wilson. It's quite dry, <laughs> but I found it really helpful. There's a section in there where he talks about how um, the translation terms for the four truths of the Aryas um, might be understood differently. He suggests that the first truth we might translate as the truths that are unsatisfactory. So I just wanted to share what he says because I found it quite useful um, in shifting my understanding about the four truths. So this is what Joe Wilson writes. He says, so most English writers speak of the four noble truths, but in the Tibetan tradition, they are the four truths of superiors in the sense that those who have seen selflessness directly teach these as truths. In many, if not most English language books on Buddhism, these four terms are translated as if they refer to abstract principles. Yeah, the truth of suffering, the truth of the path, and so on. However, in Tibetan Buddhism, they are treated not as general propositions, some abstract truth, but as categories of specific phenomena. So thus, truths that are unsatisfactory is not a broad principle stating that life is misery. So this in itself I just found really helpful. You know, many people, especially I'm facilitating the safe course, many people hear like, oh, life is miserable, life is suffering, and it's like, do we have to go on? <laughs> you know, so he's saying, no, that's not what the Buddha taught at all. Right? He's helping us to actually identify out of the things that exist, what we, what we experience in our bodies and minds, what is unsatisfactory. Right? So the truths that are unsatisfactory are precisely that, the bodies and minds of all of us in cyclic existence. And Joe Wilson says here, in a derivative way, the physical universe as the environment formed by these past actions, our karma, motivated by afflictions, attachment, aversion, and ignorance. And so really the first truth right, of Arya beings is just helping us to see very clearly what is in the nature of unsatisfactoriness. And when we get clear about that, then we know what to give up. And so as with all Buddhist teachings, we have many lists. Right, the Gongchen Lamrim lists uh, the eight sufferings of human beings with five branches each, the six sufferings of cyclic existence. Um, but before we get into those, I wanted to turn to the presentation of this first truth of the Aryas in terms of the three types of suffering. Uh, because that's how I first connected with this teaching. It was through a book by His Holiness the Dalai Lama called How to Practice the Way to a Meaningful Life, which is translated and edited by Jeffrey Hopkins. 
And it just made a really strong impact on my mind. So I wanted to use this as the framework for reviewing the various uh, truths of, of unsatisfactory conditions. So here in this book, His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, Suffering is like a disease we have all contracted. To find the cure, we must carefully identify the full scope of the disease. Pain, change, and pervasive conditioning. So the first type of suffering, right? His Holiness says, one level of suffering is out and out pain that we all recognize as such. Even animals want to overcome this. The physical and mental pains of daily life, like headaches and the anguish of separation, fall into this category. So in the last review that was done, I guess some time ago, Venerable Samton touched on some of these in the, that fall into the category, category of the first uh, level of suffering, the suffering of pain. Right? She talked about how humans experience birth, aging, sickness, and death. Right? So those are clearly ouch kind of sufferings. And even in that set of four, I remember her pointing out, um, reading us some very gory descriptions of the birth process. It's like, hmm, sounds like a B-movie. Nope, it's the Lam Rim. Um, and there, you know, it's just to counteract the view that we have, right, that romanticizes birth. I know we want to celebrate life, but on a very basic level, it's a painful process. Yeah, the mother goes through pain, the child goes through pain. Um, it just reminds me of how uh, my biology teacher described her own birth process to us when trying to explain this. And I remember her telling us, oh, you know, if the, you have trouble delivering the child, uh, you have to cut the mother's vagina. And we all went, <gasps> and she goes, oh, you're in so much pain anyway, you don't feel it. <laughs> so that was an effective uh, contraception class, I think, for all the young girls. Yeah. So as a matter of fact, it is physically painful. Right? And yet, even then, you know, we don't often think of it that way. So it's very interesting, I thought, how we're shifting gears here. Right? In the initial scope of the Lam Rim, we meditate on our precious human rebirth. Right? We really appreciate the conditions we have to do our practice, to make full use of our life, to get clear about our priorities, not to get distracted. But now we're going a step further. Yeah, we're seeing that just having an upper rebirth is not enough. Right? It comes with its own set of problems. It doesn't last forever. Right? And it's, uh, if we don't keep creating the causes to have an upper rebirth, it's going to disappear like that. And so, you know, the, the intermediate scope is getting us to expand our view and not to stop there, not to stop at just wishing for an upper rebirth, but to really focus on looking at how we can get out of cyclic existence. And that if we get an upper rebirth, that's what we want to do with it. Yeah, not to get distracted by the flowers along the way, you know, all the pleasures and illusions of cyclic existence that appear to us. So I thought now to continue looking at the eight sufferings of human beings, right? Birth, aging, sickness, and death are the first four. And two, they map onto the three of the four sites that the Buddha saw, right? He saw an old man, an aging, an old man, a sick man, and a dead man. I can't remember what order. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but those three are what really woke the Buddha up to see, hmm, you know, all his pleasure in the palace is not going to last forever. And I always remember when Venerable Minja, one of the Chinese nuns that the Abbey has a long-standing relationship with, when she was at the Abbey leading an ordination, giving ordination, she said, you know, just think about how much merit the Buddha had. And when he saw an old person, that was a cause for him to develop renunciation. Many of us see old people, it's like, 
Mm. I mean, like, okay, that's what happens. All right, all right. Or all right, it's my grandma. Yay. You know, you don't really think about it. Yeah, you see someone who's sick. It's like, or you, you just hope it doesn't happen to you. But for the Buddha, he saw these sights, and that generated renunciation. So that's how much um, merit that he had in his mind, right? That was already moving in that direction, where right? just seeing that really woke him up. So I think that's why we have to familiarize ourselves with these teachings again and again and again, not to take them for granted. So birth, aging, sickness, and death. And today now we come to number five, which is still under the ouch kind of suffering, the suffering of pain, which is encountering the undesirable. So here we are, minding our own business, doing our own thing, right? Living our life with the people we like, and problems arise. We meet with people and situations we don't like. Uh, I just love the title of this book by Ajahn Brahm. He's a monk in the Theravada tradition, and it's titled "Who Ordered This Truckload of Dung?" <laughs> so, and in this one, there's a story he tells about just you know, one day you wake up and there is dung on your front step. You don't know who put it there. What are you gonna do with it? So, you know, often it feels like that, right? Problems arise, and then what? So, the five branches, as it says in the Gomchen Lamrim. Yeah, suffering arises from the simple encounter with unpleasant people. <laughs> it just made me think of, you know, when our mind gets so stuck in anger, being around the people who we think are causing that anger, it's like intolerable just to be around them. And why is it that we suffer from being around unpleasant people, people we put in the enemy category? Right? The second branch is we fear being punished by them. I just thought this was really interesting that the Lamrim immediately gets into this like power over relationship. Yeah, maybe because all of us have a need for autonomy, that the moment you're in this you know, situation where you think, oh wow, someone can judge my behavior, they have the power to decide what's good, what's bad, and to dole out consequences, it's quite terrifying. Um, and if you attend Venerable Children's Talks in Singapore, um, you would think that the root cause of cyclic existence is your boss. <laughs> People in Singapore are perpetually complaining about their boss. So she's been teaching on Shanti Deva Chapter 6, so every talk is like, what's the cause of anger? My boss! She's <laughs> like, I don't think so. Um, we need to talk about this. She, the last talk she gave was about compassion for your boss. Yeah. Bosses are people too. <laughs> but you can see, it's a big button for us, right? Once someone can punish us, yeah, even our parent, they fall in the enemy category, right? It's fear. And too, I was thinking more broadly, like, you know, just living in fear under a totalitarian government. Yeah, it's really terrifying. Um, so many people in this world don't have that freedom. So yeah, this is the fear of being punished and not having the power to make choices for yourself, to speak freely. And then the third branch of uh, meeting with the undesirable right, is fearing unpleasant talk, yeah, especially from the people who dislike us. So here I think we can, all of us have been through this, everything from being called names as a child, people teasing you, right, people spreading rumors about you, Lots and lots of uh, examples there. Uh, the fourth is the fear of dying horribly. Right, I was reading um, Joan Halifax's book, Roshi Joan's book, about her practice as a hospice nurse, right? a hospice, a, a palliative caregiver, I think. And she was saying every time she runs workshops with people and asks whether they're more afraid of pain or more afraid of death. 
everyone says, you know, I'm more afraid of the pain, right? So again, that's the fear of, we don't know how we're going to die. And I think this is a very um, palpable one. And the last, the fifth branch here is the fear of falling into a lower rebirth after death. Yep. So if we have done actions that we regret, that we feel guilty about, then you know, it affects our state of mind. Yeah, we're not sure what's going to happen after we die. So in relation to these five, um, Venerable Children said, you know, when we contemplate these, again, the point is not to make us feel depressed, but to see very realistically that we can't avoid this in cyclic existence. As long as we are in cyclic existence, problems will arise. It's not like we can, no matter, like we can make great plans or work really hard to organize our external circumstances. This is the nature of cyclic existence. And she said that to work with the problem, we're not, um, we're not going to achieve it by destroying our enemies, by trying to create a perfect world. We have to turn to the root cause, which is our ignorance, attachment, and anger. So, uh, coming back to His Holiness on the second type of suffering. Yeah, so that's the first set, right? the gross suffering that even animals want to avoid. And so now His Holiness gets into the second type of suffering. And he says, what we usually experience as pleasure is mostly a diminishment of pain. Yeah, if good food or drink, for example, were really just pleasurable, if they had an inner nature of pleasure, then no matter how much we ate or drank, we would feel greater and greater happiness in equal measure. Instead, if we partake excessively, we begin to suffer in our bodies and in our minds. This indicates that these experiences of pleasure have an inner nature of pain. I like to tell the story of a family that buys a new television. Compared to the old one, it is really great, and everyone watches it for days on end, but eventually they get tired of it. This indicates that the original pleasure has a nature of pain. Such states of temporary happiness are called the suffering of change. So what happens when we are separated from what we desire, yeah, which is the sixth of the eight sufferings of humans? Right? So I'm sort of flipping between these two. Yeah. So from birth, aging, sickness, death, meeting with what we don't want, right? that's the first five. So now we come to number six. Right? When we are separated from what we desire, then that's the suffering of change. Yeah. So there are five branches again. What happens? Sorrow fills our minds. We lament, wail, and cry. We inflict harm on ourselves. We recall and miss what we lost and are full of anguish. And we no longer have recourse for what we have lost. And number seven, two uh, of the eight, not getting what we want, is similar, right? the same effect. Right? We feel sorrowful, we weep, you know, we go through a lot of anguish. So this is when we strive after and seek what we hope for, we don't succeed and we suffer. So here I was uh, thinking of <laughs> these students that I taught when I was a public school teacher. It was a really good uh, lesson in the suffering of change here. You know, I taught these four boys who were like tough gangster types. Uh, they had repeated many years in school. Two of them had repeated time in school, so they were older and bigger than everyone and just terrifying in that way. But all four of them uh, in the final year had their lives completely ruined because girls had broken up with them. And it was just, it just totally derailed their lives. I remember one of them uh, was so angry that he punched a fire hydrant till his hand broke. 
yeah, sorrow fills your mind. And another one punched a hole in one of the doors, I think. Uh, another one just got totally depressed and started to act out and curse and swear at all the teachers. Uh, you know, so just, I was like, wow, these big, strong guys, right? But overwhelmed by attachment, not getting what they want. These girls were like, nope, <laughs> I'm done with this relationship. It just totally ruined their lives at the age of 16, 17. One of them, I remember, even went and stalked the ex-girlfriend and sat under her block for a long period of time. This is in the middle of like big examinations. You know, he couldn't see her, so he just waited under, under her um, apartment block. And the girl comes down going to buy food, and she sees him and has a panic attack and runs away and faints. Uh, at which point he realizes he's causing her fear. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of uh, unnecessary drama. Of course, I'm pointing out examples that happen to other people and not to me. <laughs> so, you know, I'd rather not talk about that, right? But I thought I'd open up this space now uh, to see if anyone has stories you'd like to share <laughs> about being separated from things you desire and the uh, effect. Uh, of course, this is for uh, everybody's uh, growth and improvement. <laughs> it will benefit us, I think. <laughs> People online are welcome to share too, <laughs> if it doesn't become a full-length essay. I'm <laughs> how much um, pain it's caused me to be separated from situations and opportunities. You know, instead of being, usually we think of like objects, physical objects mm. or people, but also I think there comes in there other categories of things that we're separated from. You know. mm. Also, just to repeat this for the benefit of everyone, yeah, Venerable Tapa is saying that when we get separated from opportunities and um, situations, situation. right, that we find pleasant and desirable, that too can cause a lot of unhappiness and pain. Yeah. Are you thinking of a specific one? No, but I just know that I, that I was surprised
freedom and autonomy, when in fact I just was following my impulses, following my attachment, following my escaping difficult situations that it really wasn't addressing my life in a real way. But I remember just being extremely restless the first few years. And any time there was a reason to go into town or <laughs> take Venerable somewhere, you know, I was just all over the opportunity. So uh, it was, it was and it was quite a mental unhappiness for the first few years. Uh, the Venerable SMK was sharing about her uh, attachment to going on road trips and being able to be free to travel, right, that you had to give up once you moved to the Abbey. And that made you very restless and mentally unhappy. Anyone else have that experience? <laughs> More people now. Yeah. Um, very worthy, but I was, when I arrived here, uh, I was very, I didn't know that it was only the rule about the 10 minutes every 10 days for the email. Uh -huh. So I was terribly um, astonished and like I said, I met the Abbey through the web. <laughs> I met the Abbey through internet. Now the, the internet is the devil. How come? <laughs> so I couldn't put these two things on my mind. And now, so that it took me like all the first month to really go along that, but I really accepted. But then now, it's very seldom that I look at the email. <laughs> so it's, and then when I come back, perhaps I'm going to be overwhelmed by so much email that I have to catch up with. So it's a, this change, like, like to be separate from what we think, we decide this temporary happiness, my point. Mm. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, so for the benefit of people online, read the website before you come. <laughs> Where, you know, we, the, at the Abbey, we try and help people to unplug, right? So Cynthia is saying that she had to, she didn't know that you could only check your email once every 10 days. So being away from email and what it represents too, yeah? Our connection to the world, all the people we care about. It's like, eh. So yeah, so coming to the Abbey is a cause of true suffering. <laughs> no, before we get to the folks online, Mont had something too. In the past couple of years, my wife has had an opportunity to take trips that I have created a lot of suffering in my mind because I didn't get to go. Mm. <clears throat> it was an interesting conversation a couple of days ago when I was anticipating being here. Apparently, um, she has the desire that I have. But she had a fear that every time I came to Sorvosti, I might not, I might choose not to come back. And it was quite an awakening for me to, to realize that there was suffering for separation on, on her side, too. So uh, nothing helps, nothing helps addressing your own suffering like recognizing the suffering of others. Thank you, yeah. That the moment we cue into the suffering we go through and we don't get what we want, then it's very clear what other people go through. Like you could empathize with her and yeah, you know what she's going through. Well, we'll dedicate lots of merit <laughs> for her to support your time here. Stephen, did you? Yeah. yeah. Um, someone says, I'm separated from my family in New York. Mm. One of my brothers has skin cancer 
and I know that I won't see him again. Mm -hmm. I am trying to deal with that and knowing that we love each other and that is enough. Mm. Wow. Huh. It just made me think of how this morning Alejandra and I were down at the barn just talking to one of the guys working on the barn and as usual, you know, you talk to someone for five minutes and they'll tell you everything they're going through. So quite similar to that too, yeah. All of us, the common experience of family members aging, falling sick, being separated from them and the grief that we experience. And so this is not to say that, you know, this is bad, but just simply recognizing that. Yeah, this is the nature of our cyclic existence and that opens the door for us to connect with everyone. There's another comment about actually feeling separated from the Abbey. Oh. So making choices that have made me feel not as connected to the Abbey community as I once felt, I now see the importance of doing whatever we can to make wise choices to keep that, that connection strong. Mm. Do you want to volunteer? Write me. No. <laughs> <laughs> there are many ways. No. <laughs> kidding. Yeah. Oh, how interesting that the Abbey, the Abbey came up as an object, right? Either of a aversion or, a, you know, feeling, wanting to connect, not wanting to connect. Yeah, that we all see our experience here with the Dharma in many different ways. So yeah, I think this section was the one that really made me sit up. Yeah, so you know, the ouch suffering that's here and we can recognize that and it's already horrific but to say that huh our pleasurable experiences fade and it's therefore they are in themselves the nature of suffering right there's that great verse from Aryadeva's 400 stanzas right as pleasure increases pain uh, it turns into pain but as pain increases it doesn't so become pleasure <laughs> it's still pain so clearly pleasure is in the nature of pain and um when I read this in His Holiness's book, I still remember I had just been dumped by the love of my life. So I was like crying while reading this book, you know. And when I read this, I was like, oh, that's why I'm suffering. The pleasure doesn't last, duh. If I had gotten this, I wouldn't have been through all this. And the, of course, the amazing thing is I finished reading this book and then two months later, I jump into another relationship, right? <laughs> because if this boyfriend sucked, it's, it's that's him, right? I'm sure the next one, the next one's gonna work out. <laughs> well, I'm a nun, so um, that's the conclusion I came to. But just to say, you know, we get tricked by this all the time. Yeah, we keep thinking, yeah, the pleasure's out there, it's out there. If the next one, the next one, it's gonna work out. Well, you know, we're still here. <laughs> we have to check up on that one. So I think really meditating on these three, at least just looking at how we suffer when we encounter what's unpleasant, how we suffer when we're separated uh, from or don't get what we want. Right? We can see really a lot of our mental suffering, especially comes from just dividing things and categorizing them like that, right? In relation to me, here's what's desirable, here's what's not desirable. And once we organize our life in that way, then our whole life just becomes about, you know, let's get what I want, let's get away from what I don't want. Right, and it's just exhausting. <laughs> but yeah, in Meditation on Emptiness, uh, Jeffrey Hopkins says, and again, when I read this to another, like, hmm, sit up and think kind of uh, quote, he says, discouragement with the suffering of misery and of change is not enough to induce a fully qualified aspiration for liberation. 
and again I thought, oh, that explains it. Right. That's why I keep getting trapped. Yeah. Yeah, you can recognize it, and then you go back to what's pleasurable. You think is pleasurable. So Jeffrey says, the third type of suffering, that of composition, is the root and pervader of the other two, yeah, meaning the suffering of pain and the suffering of change. And discouragement with this third type of suffering must be sought with particular emphasis. So the suffering of composition means simply to be under the outside influence of contaminated actions and afflictions, such that one is ready to suffer pain upon the aggregation of minor causes. The main conditions are always present. When one is in cyclic existence, we will undergo considerable suffering upon the sudden aggregation of the remaining causes, such as a change in the environment. So even though one might not have manifest feelings of pain, one is still subject to suffering upon meeting with minor causes. So this type of suffering is called pervasive, because no matter how one searches among the ordinary body and mind, every instance of it is miserable, either manifestly pain or capable of inducing suffering. It is called compositional because it induces suffering in the future. So of course when I first read this many years ago, I was like, what's he talking about? And moved on. <laughs> but really he's saying that, you know, this is really the piece that's unique to what the Buddha taught. Yeah, the first type of suffering of pain recognized by animals, all humans, the easiest one to empathize and connect with. And he, uh, His Holiness has said too, right, the second type, the suffering of change, non-Buddhist tenet systems recognize this too. Yeah, many religions revolve around how um, worldly pleasures don't last, Right, they get us in trouble, we create a lot of non-virtue, so we should strive for something else, right? Um, to go to heaven, be with God, or yeah. And for us it's you know to be to get out of that cycle. But the third type of suffering, yeah, what the Buddha taught that's unique to to Buddhism is a totally different way of viewing our body and mind. Right? Seeing that just this, uh, having a body and mind that was produced under ignorance and karma is a cause of suffering, is suffering in itself. Yeah. That even as we sit here with a apparently very comfortable, I'm not comfortable, <laughs> right? At any moment, you don't know what kind of karma will ripen, right? You could, yeah, at any time. The causes and conditions come together, you fall sick, yeah, a little piece of bacteria gets into your food, you fall terribly ill, yeah, who knows? The conditions are already there. Just the fact that we have this body and mind um, is a cause for suffering to ripen. So I think you know that's in itself very hard to look at. I still remember our first, the first time I sat the four establishments of mindfulness retreat here. Right, the first one is to just meditate on how the body is unclean. Right, if you really look at it, everything that comes out of the various orifices is not something you want to touch, <laughs> or you know, it's gross. Yeah, or if you cut the body open, it's yeah, but just meditating on that, right, was so hard. I still remember after like month two or three in the discussion group, people were like, the body is filthy, really? Come on. And there was one guy who was stuck on how, you know, but the woman is so beautiful, look at her hair. <laughs> and Venerable kept saying, yeah, if you saw the same hair in a plate, would you think the hair is beautiful? <laughs> when you find the hair in your food, it's dirty, but the hair on a woman's head is beautiful. Why? <laughs> right? So just seeing our struggle, <laughs> With that, yeah, changing the way we view our body and mind. Yeah. But what Jeffrey Hopkins is saying is that this is what we really need to get familiar with. Right? Because only then, when we understand that taking a body and mind under the control of afflictions and karma is a source of suffering, then that's what will propel us to 
seek something better, right? to get out of cyclic existence, to stop having a body and mind produced by ignorance, karma, and afflictions. So again, this is so this is the eighth type of the suffering that humans experience. Yeah. Birth, aging, sickness, death, meeting what's undesirable, separated from what you desire, not getting what you want. Number eight, this pervasive condition suffering, having a body and mind under the control of ignorance, afflictions, and karma. So again they have the, just to go through the five branches, right? Uh, that having five aggregates um, we cling to them as me and mine, right? so this becomes the basis for future suffering. Right? It's the basis for aging, sickness and death. It's the basis for the suffering of suffering, the suffering of change and pervasive condition suffering. Right? So this is where it all begins. And it's a hard one to look at. So in any case, uh, while reviewing this topic, I was thinking too about how I feel a lot more connection to the looking at the three types of suffering and the eight sufferings of humans, and maybe that's because it's clearer and easier to observe in our everyday experience, at least for me. Um, and I was telling Venerable Tarpa, I sometimes struggle with the list of the six sufferings of cyclic existence in general, you know, because my very simple mind, it's like, cyclic existence, I don't know, I can't see it, I can't touch it, it's so abstract. <laughs> but I think, therefore, it is important to go over the list, uh, for my own benefit especially. <laughs> So these are the six, yeah, another way to look at suffering. So these are the six that pervade cyclic existence. Uh, the first is uncertainty. Right? So as we are reborn again and again, our relationships change. And you, you can see this even in this life, right? One moment someone is your friend, they do something and then they become your enemy. Right? Someone you consider your enemy becomes your friend and so forth. So here, that's the focus here about how all these people we get attached to or we're averse towards and all the karma we create in relation to them. You know, when you think about it in terms of multiple rebirths, uh, it really makes you wonder why. why. Why do I get so attached and averse to people? And the famous example often given is how Shariputra, uh, with his uh, psychic powers one day, he came along a sight of a woman eating, a f uh, carrying a baby chewing a fish and kicking a dog that was trying to get at the fish bones, right? And through his psychic powers, he could see that in a past life, uh, the father of this woman had uh, gone fishing. He loved to fish in the pond behind the house. And so after he died, he took rebirth as a fish, which was then caught by this woman, and that was the fish she was eating, right? And then the dog that belonged to the house uh, was her mother, because the mother was very attached to this house and was wound up being reborn as the dog that she was, this woman was kicking away, trying to get at the fish. And the baby was her enemy in a past life. Yeah. I think the husband's enemy especially, so he was very attached to the woman and wound up being reborn as a baby. And so when Shariputra could see this, he of course generated great sadness and compassion, seeing, wow, you know, in cyclic existence, here's this woman, thinking that she's uh, taking care of her child when actually she's um, carrying her enemy and kicking her mother and eating her father. <sighs> so just the horror of cyclic existence yeah, that we really don't know how we've related to each other. Yeah. I guess this example also is very stark to me because uh, I was born by cesarean section. So I always think, you know, my mother had to be cut open for me to live. <laughs> I'm not sure what kind of relationship we had in the past. So yes, our changing relationships. Uh, and the second one in the list of six sufferings is dissatisfaction. That's Venerable's translation. Or in the Lamrim Chenmo, it says insatiability. 
Yeah, so even though we've already done everything possible in cyclic existence, we are not satisfied. Yeah, it's never enough. And here I just wanted to read uh, two of the passages from the Lamrim Chenmo because they kind of explain this. <laughs> just think about this. I don't have to add very much. So Jiren Boche says, uh, if you read the Sutra on alleviating sorrow, Again and again in hells, you drank boiling liquid copper, so much that even the water in the ocean does not compare. The filth you have eaten as a dog and as a pig would make a pile far more vast than Meru, the king of mountains. On account of losing loved ones and friends, you have shed so many tears in the realms of cyclic existence that the ocean could not contain them. The heads that have been severed from fighting one another, if piled up, would reach beyond Brahma's heaven. You, having been a worm, and having been ravenous, you ate so much sludge that if it were poured into the great ocean, it would fill it completely. And then he goes on to quote the Array of Stock Sutra. Remember the infinite bodies which, in the past, you wasted senselessly on account of desire. Now, in this life, truly seek enlightenment. Take up disciplined conduct and thereby destroy desire. Remember the infinite bodies which, in the past, you wasted senselessly on account of desire. As many times as there are grains of sand in the Ganges, you failed to please the Buddhas and ignored their teachings such as this. So J. Rinpoche continues, um, Even if you gain the vast wonders of cyclic existence, they would be illusory. Bear in mind the countless bodies you have wasted in the past, experiencing limitless and pointless suffering. Consider that it will continue in this way unless you make an effort to put an end to it. <laughs> so, yeah, very sobering. Clearly, I don't think enough about this, but yeah, just the visual impact, right, of thinking like, wow, to have so many, have had so many rebirths <laughs> that your skeletons pile up higher than Mount Everest. So clearly, you know, these are meditations we're meant to bring to mind again and again to really sober the mind, right? Anytime we're running after some desire object, it's like, you've had it before. You've already been through this. Like, where do you want to go with this? You know, how much chocolate can you eat? And uh, the, so the third of the six sufferings is related to this too. We will abandon a body repeatedly, right? So just thinking about how we are going to die again and again, right, in one life after another, going through the death process again and again. And the fourth is taking a new body repeatedly. So again, taking rebirth again and again without choice. Uh, the fifth in the list of six is changing status repeatedly in cyclic existence. So here the example often given is how, you know, we've all been born in all the six realms. Oh, changing status, status repeatedly. Yeah. So, you know, you can think of it in both ways. Yeah. In this life, right, one moment you're rich, the next you're poor, you could be famous and then despised. We see this in celebrity news all the time. Or, I mean, all of us have, I'm guessing, lived through some recession or other in the last 10, 20 years. I remember in Asia, there were two big recessions that hit quite badly. And I had friends who lived in big mansions and would big parties and overnight they're living in public housing in a small apartment and I just remember how ashamed she was I mean we you know she's your friend you're friends for other reasons but I was surprised by how um, she just stopped inviting people to her house and for the longest time would not tell anyone what had happened yeah, so the pain of that right 
what you grow up around and seeing that change just in this lifetime. So I think from there we can extrapolate what it's like if you are born in the God realm, for instance, right? you're able to get whatever pleasure you want at the snap. Isn't it like you think about it and the pleasure arises? You have that much merit. And then at some point that runs out and they say that the greatest suffering in the God realms is to see your future rebirth. That the gods can see, oh, they're going to become an animal or, or a very poor person. or you know, And just the, the mental suffering of losing everything they have uh, torments the gods as they die and take rebirth. And the sixth, uh, in the six sufferings of cyclic existence, is that we have no companions. Yeah, so here it's talking about how we will undergo suffering alone. Yeah. And here again, it's, we're thinking of that very broad view of taking repeated rebirth again and again alone, right? going through all these changes, going through all the pain of meeting what we don't like, being separated. There's no one who, who can take that, do that for us. We're, we're all ex experiencing this alone. So another way to think of these, these six uh, is to condense them into three points. Right, that first, nothing in samsara is reliable. This body, things that we think are helpful or harmful, right, they keep changing. Right? Good conditions and friends, right, all these are, as mentioned, changing again and again. Right? Second is to remember that nothing in cyclic existence is satisfying. And to think too about how we've done this since beginningless time. So those are just some of the ways we can reflect on this first truth of unsatisfactory conditions, the truth of suffering. To think about it in terms of the three, right, suffering of pain, change, pervasive conditioning, about the eight sufferings that humans go through, and then the six of cyclic existence. So um, why do we do this? As Jeffrey Hopkins says, I just want to read again from Meditation on Emptiness, he points out how uh, meditating in this way, a yogi develops discrimination of the phenomena of cyclic existence as unfavorable. Right, so we get very clear what, what we want to give up. Yeah. He says, you start to see them as executioners raising swords, and the wish to leave cyclic existence arises. Thereupon, by inferring the plight of others based on one's own, compassion wishing to protect others arises without difficulty. This is the special purpose of Buddha setting forth true sufferings first. So I liked very much how he laid this out. Yeah, that on the one hand, it's a powerful antidote to help us to reduce our attachment and to really get clear about our situation right, so that we're not sucked in by cyclic existence. I mean, they say that the pleasure of the upper realms, the god realms, form realms, right, you're in like blissful states. And if you don't develop this enchantment, you get stuck. There, you could be reborn as a long-life god with no condition to practice the dharma. And at the same time, it helps us to develop genuine compassion, like really seeing the situation that we and other beings are in. Um, so before we go on to do a meditation together, um, I wondered if people have any questions or comments? Yes. When you say that these six sufferings or sufferings can be put in, can be presented into three? Mm -hmm. Can you repeat which, which ones are the three, please? Sure. So, the three are that nothing in samsara is reliable. Mm -hmm. 
Right, and this this is broken down. The first point is broken down into four. Yeah, what is unreliable? Our bodies are unreliable. Agents that help or harm us are unreliable because they keep changing. Right, good conditions and resources are unreliable. Friends are unreliable. So that's the first one. Right, the second is that nothing in samsara is satisfying. And the third is that we have entered samsara since beginningless time. So I think the challenge there of the six. Uh, is to really expand our minds to try and take the long view and to see that, you know, instead of being reborn again and again, we can do something different, yeah, to turn that cycle into one that's moving towards awakening instead of, you know, going towards the lower realms. Are there other thoughts, comments? Just thank you for studying this in the same course too. (laughs) <laughs> I hope you're having fun <laughs> and safe too. Yeah, the amazing thing too is that in the Lamrim Chenmo, you know, this is a big section just pointing out ways we can think about this. Yeah, the way Jerem Pache sets it up is to point out that you know this is really crucial in terms of helping us to generate this determination to be free. Unless we know what we want to be free from, we're not gonna actually practice the path properly. It's very easy to get distracted, as all of us uh, have experienced, right? If we keep thinking that something is pleasurable and not in the nature of suffering, then you get eaten by the tiger, so to speak. Yeah. Yep, so he sets it up that way. Why, Why you want to generate the determination to be free, and then it becomes two chapters on ways you can meditate on the suffering of cyclic existence. So you can bring these back into your meditation, whatever works best for you, the three, the eight, the six. Yep. The six condensed into three. Right. And another way to think about it too is to reflect on the sufferings of the six realms. Yep. To think of each of the realms and what beings in those realms go through. Um, so if there are no further comments, I thought we would do a meditation together. Yep. Oh, Venerable I Sanke. do have to say that one of the pieces that I... I realized that I had to really deepen my faith and confidence in was rebirth. Because if I really don't believe that there's more than just this life, you can't possibly go through any of these meditations with any type of seriousness. You don't believe that you've been in all these hard realms or all these high realms, and you don't believe that you're going to be going there. And so these all become momentary, maybe well, that's too bad, you know. Mm. But there, there's something that I've had to really, you know, look at the look at karma, look at um, how um, the, the, why I can start looking and saying, you know, there's got to be previous lives, and these are the reasons why, mm. you know, because without that, this all becomes just intellectual gymnastics, and you don't really feel that the ache in your heart that we're creating the causes to continually have this experience. We don't like connect the dots. Mm. So I think over the years, my my favorite confidence that there are many, many lives through the teachings and the study, just thinking about, you know, how my life unfolds as it does, if I can't see in this life how those things came about, the causes must have been some other time, some other place, like being a Buddhist nun. I mean, where in the heck did that come from? You know, did it come from this life? So I grow my faith in that, and then this becomes a little bit more... Um, possible. Mm. This is what I want to say. 
Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. So Venerable SMK is just pointing out how important it is to also do all the reflections about rebirth, right? getting clear that it's possible right? if we don't believe in rebirth, right? strengthening our understanding of rebirth because it's on that basis that we can understand what we're talking about in terms of karma and cyclic existence, that we're repeating this cycle again and again. It's true, I think I must have studied 10 years before the pin, I even like was like, oh, <laughs> rebirth, this is what I go through, it's not like some idea out there. Yeah, because you know, it just challenges the way we see the world, right? You only believe what you see materially, here's me, here's this, that's it. And then what? Yeah, I mean, I found it very helpful to really think through all the, just all the logical consequences. Yeah, if there's only one life, then what? Right. What would that mean? How does that shape my view of ethics? Yeah, or the if, suffering of the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, going back to that first. Yeah. And if you think through the logical consequences, I think it helps us to deepen our sense of you know, what we believe. Yeah. Do we genuinely believe that there's only one life? Are there multiple lives? What does that mean in terms of how we see others in the world? Even just trying on the idea of rebirth, um, I found very helpful in terms of understanding why people commit um, horrific actions. It helped me a lot to be more compassionate, I think. Just thinking, wow, I could have done that in a past life. Anytime. I, I could have been that person who murdered and raped. Like, so who am I to judge, right? Time to... And to see that the idea itself just helped my mind shift. Um, I thought, okay, this is a helpful idea. It's helping me to be less angry. I can't scientifically, materially prove it, it's helping my mind. Yeah, so I guess a lot of my faith grew that way. Yes, Cynthia. The practice that we make in the morning is like the 35 Buddhas. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it has had a very strong impact in me, mm. especially with, uh, believing in river. And when I read and I do the confession, personally, every morning that I did all those things. It's like I have to confess something that I don't remember, mm. but I did it. So it's, in a way, it's, it's, um, makes you, yeah, makes me uh, more able to connect in one way, and in the other makes me more humble mm. and more uh, vulnerable to see that we can, it's just the sharp of the, of the knife mm. can go here, can cut you, or can be for, for good. It's like, like here, mm. how difficult it is to, to really f focus on the things that doesn't cause bad karma mm. in order for, for not to have a bad river. That's the point. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, so Cynthia, just sharing that, uh, yeah, the process of purification has really helped you to open your mind and heart, yeah, to see that all of us are capable of, even if we don't remember them, right, just thinking that while wow, we've done all these negative actions actually can be very humbling. It helps us to not be judgmental of others, but to be vulnerable like that yeah, and humble. Um, you gave the analogy of like it's really just on the tip of a knife's edge, right? Whether we do something that's beneficial or harmful, 
we're just walking that line. I think a lot of teachers give that analogy in the Lamrim Chenmo too, yeah, where uh, Jerem Boche writes that we our, our precious human rebirth is like we're on the edge of a cliff. Any time we could lose it, right? So these meditations are meant to wake us up to that, yeah. Or uh, Lama Zopa Rinpoche always says, "We are we are in grave danger. <laughs> yeah. Don't for a moment think that you're safe, yeah, in cyclic existence, because you don't know what kind of uh, previous causes you've created that could be ripening at any time." So. Um, for the meditation this evening, I thought we would, because um, Venerable didn't really get into the sufferings of the six realms, and there's a meditation that she has in the guided meditations on the stages of the path outline. It's actually uh, under compassion, right? but I love this meditation where we are looking at the sufferings of beings in the six realms and thinking about how those causes are created and generating compassion for both those beings and actually for ourselves at the same time, yeah, knowing that our states of body, uh, our mental states create those environments. So I thought to do that meditation this evening, right, reflecting on the sufferings of the different realms and generating compassion that way. Because yeah. reminding ourselves that compassion and renunciation are related that way. Yeah. Not only do we wish to be free of this suffering ourselves, right, we are also wishing the same for all beings. So let's take a moment just to connect with our bodies and minds in this space. Checking in that your spine is straight. You can rest your right hand over your left and have your thumbs touching. That helps the flow of energy in the body. Tuck your chin in slightly. You can rest your tongue against your upper palate. And if you have a tendency to get drowsy, you can leave your eyes very slightly open. So let's just spend a few minutes just watching the breath to settle the mind. So now bring to mind a time when your mind was overwhelmed by fear and aggression.
and imagine this mental state becoming so strong that it completely colors your entire environment and the kind of physical experience you have, the body that you take. mind is overwhelmed with anger, we see everything through that lens. So think that this is what it's like to be in the hell realms. To have a body and mind that's just overwhelmed by fear, rage, fury. That's your entire experience. generate the wish for yourself to be free from such a state, free from creating the causes to be in such a state. Now think too that there are many beings experiencing this. extend that wish for them too to be free from the suffering of the hell realms. Now bring your mind to a time when your mind was just completely overwhelmed by craving. You were separated from something you wanted. And no matter where you looked, it was never enough. You can't find any happiness. by the craving that you can't enjoy anything.
again imagine that this overpowering craving and dissatisfaction affects your entire body. It shapes your entire experience of the environment, how you see the world. This is what it's like to be in the hungry ghost realm. Generate the wish for yourself to be free from being in a state like this. Extend that wish to all the beings in the same situation. Wishing for them and yourself to be free from the suffering of this hungry ghost realm. Now bring your mind to a time when it was clouded by ignorance and confusion. When you were unable to think clearly, you couldn't seem to access your wisdom. It's just, you know, in a daze or a big fog. So again, imagine that this affects your entire body. The way you see the world, your entire environment.
think that this is what it's like to be in the animal realm. Where your main focus is getting food, protecting yourself, protecting your children. And there's a lot of fear. You might get eaten, you have to eat. Your whole life just revolves around that. So wish for yourself to be free from the suffering of the animal realm. And also extend that to all animals. Now let's turn our minds to the different types of sufferings that humans experience. We can think about how at this very moment there are countless human beings going through those eight sufferings, including ourselves. Babies being born people in the process of aging, struggling with illness, dying right now, people grieving, struggling with very difficult problems, being separated from things they love, not getting what they want. This is our common experience from having this body and mind overwhelmed by ignorance, karma and afflictions.
generate the strong wish for yourself and other beings in the human realm to be free from this suffering and its causes. Now think of a time when your mind was so satiated with pleasure that that was all you could think about. Me and my pleasure. You're so distracted by this pleasure that you can't focus on anything. What others are going through doesn't matter. Imagine being so overwhelmed by this kind of pleasure that it shapes your entire body and environment. And imagine that this is what it's like in the celestial realms. It's completely self-absorbed in having everything you want see that this is suffering and it completely closes our hearts to other beings so again wish for yourself and all beings in the celestial realms to be free of such suffering and its causes just reflecting on how there's really no safe place in any of the six realms that's free from the suffering of cyclic existence and looking how looking at how these are produced by our ignorance and afflictions 
generate a very strong wish in our mind to be free. Knowing that this is the most compassionate thing we can do for ourselves and others. To transform our minds and to stop the cycle of rebirth. Again, we can connect with the Buddha above the crown of our heads. The Buddha dissolves into light, goes down through the crowns of our heads, reappears at our heart. And we can visualize all the positive energy we've generated this evening as brilliant light at our hearts that we're sending out into the entire universe. dedicating for all beings to be free of suffering and its causes. And especially I want to keep in mind it's hunting season in our neighborhood now, so all the animals that are going to be hunted, just the fear of that experience and also for all the hunters who are creating a lot of negativity and um, rejoicing in it as sport. May such suffering come to an end. Any final comments or questions? Yes. What is the sixth realm? After the celestial realm, which one is that? Uh, so that's uh, the five, right? Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, the fifth realm, the celestial realm, can be split into two, actually. So you have the demigod realm and the god realm. right? So you could also add that on. Yeah. Um, the 
the way to think about it is that the demigod realm is one that's overwhelmed by jealousy. Often the, the way it's described is that there's a beautiful tree and then the demigods are the ones taking care of the tree and all the fruit falls in the god realm. <laughs> so they're always very angry and jealous towards the gods and uh, so they're engaged in perpetual war with the gods trying to get the fruit. So that's a lot of suffering there. So we can think too, you know, of being of some status and always wanting more, right? <laughs> Sometimes I look at mid my relationship with middle management in the past, I thought, oh, that's the demigod realm. <laughs> I'm always so jealous of the boss and wanting to go up and it's never good enough. Yeah, so just that mind of jealousy, <laughs> middle management. Yeah, you know, you already are in a good place, but it's never enough. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Venerable. Also, too, um, this meditation is sometimes helpful to look over the course of this life for myself and to see what kind of actions of body, speech, and mind may be part of the causes and conditions for this kind of rebirth. Mm. How many times have I had addictions? How many times mm. have I had cravings? How many times have I harmed living beings? How many times have I just spaced out you know, just vegged out and just, you know, hit the remote in my mm -hmm. life in lots of different ways. And then also the jealousy and having a really, really good life and not understanding that I that there are causes for that life. Mm -hmm. So this this meditation is really helpful for me to see what am I doing here, you know? If these are the results. Yeah, so just seeing how this meditation helps us to reflect on how what our mind is doing, right, conditions, not just the body of this life and our experience of this life, but creates the cause for future rebirths. Yeah, I know it's very scary, like when I think of my mind addicted or try and imagine what it's like to have a drug addiction, just the horror and pain of that and to expand that into a long state, <laughs> imagining that's what it's like to be a hungry ghost. Yeah, to have that kind of state for eons. I mean, it feels like that already anytime you're craving something. It's always already too long. The time doesn't matter. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you. Alright, so I guess we can, we'll do our regular dedications. Due to this merit, may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha, that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow. May that born have no decline, but increase forevermore. In the snowy mountain pure land, you're the source of good and happiness. Powerful Tenzin Gyatso Chenrezi, may you stay until samsara ends.